Hey, welcome again to Rockbridge Community Church. My name is Matt. I want to welcome you wherever you've gathered here, uh, Hickson, Tennessee, or Calhoun, or Chatsworth, Dalton, or Ringgold. Thank you so much for, uh, for being here as we kick off a new sermon series. If you have a Bible, you can open it up, or you can turn it on, or you'll be allowed, you know, you can follow along with me. But we'll be in the book of Ephesians. We'll be in Ephesians chapter 5. However, before we get there, I just want to remind you that the first Wednesday of the month, the first Wednesday of June is coming up, and this is what I call our, our most important service of the month. Rock Bridgers, because it's when we pray together, sing together, and take the Lord's Supper together and ask for God's power to prevail in us for the next 30, 31 days or so. So I invite you to be at your campus for, for that celebration, for that service on first Wednesday, which is this coming up on June the 6th. So I'm going to admit something or share something that, you know, I'm a Christian. I'm going to say this about Christians. Maybe you're not a Christian or you've got a lot of questions about Christianity, but let's just admit something all of those Christians here today. Christians can be weird, okay? I mean, we do some weird things. We believe some weird things. We sing and say some weird things. I mean, we talk about blood, which doesn't sound like interesting, uh, ex except we believe that Jesus' blood saves, helps save people from their sins. We wear like an instrument of death, like as jewelry, like a, a cross around necks and earrings, and we put it on our cars, and that's kind of weird, and that's kind of odd. Christians do a lot of things like they meet a lot. We meet a lot. We get together in groups of people a lot. So Christians kind of do uh, a lot of weird things. And so we're going to spend some time talking about what may be, may be one of the weirdest things that Christians do, which is we sing together. Like Christians get together and, and sing. And so think about it th this way. Uh, and, and some of you are like, yeah, that's the part I don't like, or that's the part I don't get. Even Christians are like, I'm not sure why we sing. I don't sing. I just sort of stand up and, and look the part. I mean, it's all over the map, right? And then there's people that raise their hands. There's people that sing like it's opera. I mean, it's just crazy. So it's kind of weird that Christians do that. But think about it for just a second. Where else in the world do a group of untrained adults get together? And virtually every time they get together, they sing. Okay, yeah, happy birthday, but that's just like, you know, you just do that. Maybe like your school's fight song, maybe, maybe, maybe the national anthem. Sometimes at concerts, but you're really there at a concert not to hear anybody else sing. You're here to hear, there to hear the, the performer or the entertainer sing. So where else in the world do you see all these groups of adults get together and we sing together? And so there's something about Christians or about our faith or about our religion, religion that singing is a part of, of what we do. And, and it's interesting because if you go back in history, we, we, we've, been all, we've always been doing this. Like, let me give you a quote or share something from A.D. 112. A guy named Pliny, a Roman, writes to the emperor Trajan. Trajan was curious about this growing movement of people in his empire, which is the Christians. And he said, this is what Pliny wrote. He said, these believers were in the habit of meeting on a certain fixed day before it was light. So they got up really, really early when they sang an anthem to Christ as God. And then they bound themselves by a solemn oath not to commit any wicked deed. That's what Christians have been doing at least since 112 AD. A lot of the things we read in the New Testament are actually poetry, which were actually hymns or anthems or things that First Church actually sung or, or sang together. So, and then here's, here's one that's even challenging, especially like if you're not a music type person, because you kind of feel like, well, I'm not a singer, I'm not a music person, so I'm exempt from that part of worship. Well, here's the thing. Singing is commanded 50 times in the Bible. What you going to do now, people like me who can't carry a tune in a bucket, you know? I mean, that's a challenge. It's singing is mentioned over 400 times 
in Scripture. And, and some of you are like, where is he going? There, surely we can't have a full sermon about singing. Oh, yes, we can, uh, right? Uh, but, but hopefully we'll, we'll get there and we'll make it apply to your life and, and apply to your soul and apply to the wars that you're fighting and the battles that you're facing right now in your life. So what we're going to do for our summer series is we're going to do a series called The Songs of Summer. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to be taking a worship song that we sing a lot at Rockbridge, and it's going to kind of be sung before the message, and we're going to sing it at the end of the message or after the message, and it's going to be, and we're going to talk about kind of the lyrics or the meaning of that particular song. So some of them are like, it is well with my soul, which many of you know. Today's song is we're never going to stop singing, which was kind of one of the songs we led off our, our service with just to kind of kick off the series on songs of summer. And, and what is it that Christians are never going to stop singing. I mean, we've been doing it since way back when. So here's the question we're going to try to answer. Why do we sing? And, and those of you that are not yet Christians, or you're like, ah, I'm not sure about church, or I'm not sure about singing in church, or I'm not sure about what goes on in church. This is a good time to be here because we're going to unpack that, something the church has been doing for 2,000 years. So why do we sing? And better yet, why do you need to sing? Why do you need to sing? Why do you need to sing so much that your God, who loves you more than, than life itself, who loved you enough to die in your place, commands you to sing in his Bible 50 times? 50 times. And God never does anything apart from his love. So 50 times, 40, 50 times, he commands you to sing. If you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, and we'll start reading the word of God. Pay careful attention then to how you live. So this section, Paul, who, who writes this, is, really, is just, hey, here's how I want you to live in this era of time and this age that we're in. And it's a question we all ask, how do we live in the 21st century? They were asking, how do we live in the first century? So pay careful attention to how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise people. So mark your ways with knowing right from wrong, knowing what's appropriate, knowing what's not appropriate, making the most of the time or redeeming the time because the days are evil. So here's how you live in an era of time that is marked by evil or marked by bad things. And here's what he says. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So the implication is, is if we live according to God's will, we live wisely, or we know how to walk wisely, or we know how to navigate things wisely. And who in here that is a Christian has not asked this question, what is God's will? Maybe you're not a Christian, you've asked this, hey, why am I here? What's my purpose? Maybe you've gone through a midlife crisis. Maybe you're, you're getting out of high school, headed toward college, or getting out of college, headed toward a career, or about to start your first job, or about to start a second career, or about to be an empty nester, and all these life transitions, and you're saying, why am I here? Or maybe, what is God's will for me at this point, at this time in my life? So I'd like to walk in wisdom. I would like to know the Lord's will. Well, this is a great passage for you to be in. And so Paul, to help us understand where he's going, creates a comparison. And he's going to compare drinking alcohol with something spiritual, which I don't know how you marry those two, but he's going to do it. Here's what he says. He says, and don't get drunk with wine. So let's compare and contrast coming under the influence of alcohol, which leads to reckless living. Now remember, his first point was be concerned or be careful or pay attention to how you live. So he says, look, there's a way to live under the influence of something that leads to reckless living. But, and here's the contrast, 
I want you, Paul says, to be filled with the Spirit, to be filled with God, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is part of God's personality or part of the Godhead of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. That's sort of mysterious, but it's how God uh, works and operates and manifests Himself. So Christians receive the Holy Spirit when, we become, when, we be, when we're saved. And Paul says it's sort of compared and contrasted to the influence of alcohol on your body. So let me just talk to you about what's similar between alcohol and and the Holy Spirit. The first thing is this. Both of them have this notion of being under the control of or being the influencer in our lives. So if you've ever been drunk, you're under the influence, or you've ever drinking enough where you're impaired, you're under the influence of that. Paul says, be filled with the Spirit, you're under the influence of God. God's presence, God's love, God's commands, God's desires, Okay. Then he says, then we can say this, both bring pleasure and enjoyment. Both bring some pleasure and enjoyment, at least for a time with alcohol, right? I mean, most people who who initially start to drink, there's something about it that gives you a buzz or gives you a high or feels cool socially, whatever reasons that, that people drink. And the Holy Spirit brings joy and brings pleasure. Both involve the loss of, of becoming, or where you become less self-conscious. You lose inhibitions with alcohol and you do things you wouldn't do if you were sober, when you are filled with the Spirit, you are less conscious of you, yourself, and I, and more conscious of God, of Christ, and God's beauty, and God's excellences. But let's contrast. Alcohol does something where it dulls our senses to reality. Alcohol dulls your senses to what's real, so it impairs your judgment, or you, don't, you lose touch with, with reality, so you drive faster than you shouldn't drive, or you become angrier than you should become, or you become funnier than you ever thought, or you, and you forget things, right? So it dulls your senses to reality, where the Spirit awakens us to ultimate reality. So one is a depressant that depresses our ability to perceive things. The Holy Spirit is a, like a stimulant that awakens us to the joys and the beauties and the excellences of Christ. Alcohol does this for us. It gets rid of fear and anxiety, which is why some people, a lot of people drink, through forgetfulness. You just forget. The Holy Spirit gives boldness, no matter what you're facing, by highlighting and showcasing God. So let me, let, me, let me use an analogy. Let's say you're at your house and you get a news flash that an army of 200 people who were dead set about killing you or taking you captive are 10 miles from your house, okay? And, and, and they've cut off all routes of escape and you're sort of stuck there and it's 200 people. So what do you do, you know? So you can, one way to cope with that is to try to forget about it. Get your mind off of it, which alcohol will help you do that. And that's how a lot of people live, that's how a lot of people deal with pressures at work, pressures in their marriages. That, that's how a, a lot of people cope with challenges and how a lot of people cope with adversity. What if, though, there was another reality to awaken to and we said, hey, there's an army of 2,000 people who are for you one mile from your house. The Holy Spirit illuminates and says, God's with you. God's for you. God's bigger than whatever you're facing. God has a plan. God has a will for you. And the Holy Spirit awakens us to those realities. Okay? So, what then does it look like, sound like, to be filled with or under the influence of the Holy Spirit so much that you're enjoying God, so much that you're bold in the face of adversity, in the face of challenge? What does it look like? And Paul begins to describe 
what it means to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And notice where he goes. But be filled by the Holy Spirit. And we have our little English thing, a colon here, which means here's what it looks like. Here's a description. Speaking to one another in psalms, which are songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing and making music with your heart, from the heart, to the Lord. So when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, something is so powerful, so, uh, you're so under the influence of God, that song is sort of a byproduct of that, and it results in giving thanks, <clears throat> next part of the verse, always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's kind of crazy, right? That when we become under the influence of God, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, we are less aware of ourselves, less aware of our circumstances, more aware of God, and we have this capacity to overflow in song. So Paul's point in this section is simply this. The influence of God's presence affects everything. It affects your mind, it affects your will, it affects your body, it influences you, it kind of takes over you and it overflows in song. Overflows in song. And, and that's biblical, that's scriptural. So, you know, if we're sitting here struggling with why don't we sing and what's going on, there's something theological, there's something of God happening when we sing. So here's a couple of things that we can, we can point out from this text. Number one is this. Corporate singing, and he said sing to one another, so I'm not, like, I'm not talking about you singing in your shower. I'm talking about you and other believers or you in the church singing. Corporate singing is countercultural. Again, we've already talked about that, right? It's something that we don't do anywhere else in society. And it's unnatural because it's of the Spirit. It's directed by the Spirit. So if we unpack what we mean by the fact that corporate singing is countercultural and unnatural, here's a couple of thoughts, all right? Our culture right now is very fragmented, right? We get together with casual affinities. We get together with just groups of people who are like us. We, we, we get together and we do kind of our own thing, but we're very much about individualism. We're very much about me and my people and, and me and my tribe, all right? So when we get together with people from all walks of life, People that in, in the real society couldn't join the same country club or their kids don't go to the same school or they don't have the same skin color or same zip code or same house type. Yet those kinds of people get together in the corporate gathering of the church and come together and sing together. There's something not of our culture, not of our society going on. And, and, and that's weird and that's odd and that's different and it speaks to something. It speaks to God's capacity to do something with a very, very diverse group of people. And so singing is a sign. Like you go to Florida and you see a sign that, hey, Florida's in 50 miles or 60 miles. You don't stop at the sign. The sign points you to something beyond itself. It points you to a different reality. So singing is a sign of something. And what did Paul say singing is a sign of? Being under the influence of God, being under the influence of the Holy Spirit. So corporate singing is first and foremost about God. It's making music to the Lord. It's making music to God. It's choosing to overflow with song. So it says something about God that we have to, or we are moved to rather, or we are influenced by the Holy Spirit to overflow in song. So look at the lyrics of the song that we're talking about this week. Never going to stop singing. Look at the lyrics. Never going to stop singing. How can we hold it inside? 
How can we hold what inside? How can we hold the emotion, the joy that we feel about God? How can we hold that inside? And then it says this, something very true. Go read the book of Revelation. Every tribe, every tongue will sing. Every tribe, every tongue that's on the planet earth will sing. So there's something about God that elicits singing. So ask this question, why do we sing different types of songs? He said hymns, spiritual songs, <clears throat> and, and, and psalms. Why does, why does God elicit different types of songs? Because God is infinitely varied, because God is personal and relates to us in so many different ways. It results in an outpouring of different genres, different song types, different expressions to God of his beauty, of his glory, of his grace, of his love, of his influence. So for the guy who loses his daughters at sea, And his family at sea, he's moved to write this great hymn that we'll talk about in a couple of weeks, It Is Well With My Soul. For the person who's sitting in their room suddenly stunned and marveling at the fact that they're saved when they're a rebel, when they're a sinner, when they previously hated God, they're moved to write Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. So God shows up and our our experience of God shows up in our singing. Jonathan Edwards, one of the great theologians of, 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 <clears throat> that America has ever produced, says something that's very insightful, and please listen. He says, God reveals himself to us in two ways. Two ways. One is through our understanding, and that's our logic, and that's our understanding of, of our faith. That's the understanding of God in creation, God in salvation, how the cross is this perfect logical expression of God's love and God's justice. And a lot of us and a lot of what we do in, in, our, in our churches is we talk about mental knowledge and Bible facts and, and understanding of God. But Edward says there's a second way that God impacts us. And that is through our emotions and our affections, that we are emotionally affected by God. Notice how many times in the Bible we're commanded to rejoice. We're commanded 50 times to sing. There's something about singing that is way more emotional than writing a paragraph. I mean, think about if you went up to your wife and said, honey, I wrote you a paragraph versus, honey, I wrote you a song. (laughs) Ladies, which would you rather have? Yeah, a song on the front row, amen, right? So God is not just captured by prose and paragraphs. It's poetry and the affections and the emotions of God. One of the most brilliant minds, again, that our country's ever produced, Blaise Pascal, who is a scientist, a mathematician, and a Christ follower. Listen to what he writes in his journal. Monday, November 23rd, 1654. From 1030 to 1230 at night. Fire. Fire. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. Not the God of the philosophers and the sophisticated. Joy, joy, joy. Tears of joy. I submit myself absolutely to Jesus Christ, my Redeemer. He took that and he stitched it on the inside of his coat pocket to remind himself of the experience of God. See, God doesn't just invite you to know facts about him. He invites you to experience him in ways that cannot be captured except through song, except through poetry. 
And when we limit God to just our mental understanding and not our heart and our affections, we are cutting ourselves off from part of the experience of the vastness and the joy of the Lord, which is to be, according to Nehemiah, our strength. Now, to be fair, the church hasn't always gotten this right. And, and there's ways where the church seems to like discourage being affectionately, emotionally moved by God. I mean, I, I've been in churches where if somebody says amen, everybody around them is thinking, oh no, the crazy uncle from backwoods of Tennessee has showed up at church today, right? I mean, there's some churches, if you raise your hand, a deacon or a security person comes up to you and says, may I help you, sir or ma'am, right? And, and so we don't always understand what this is supposed to look like. But it brings the point up that if we're not careful, we begin to hijack God's purposes in singing God's purposes in corporate worship because we don't understand why do we sing? Why do we need to sing? What's really going on? So let me just talk about some ways you and I can hijack a corporate worship service. Hijack a service that is supposed to be an expression of what? The filling of the Holy Spirit, the influence of God on your soul, on your heart, on your mind, on your affections, on your ambitions, on your day on your week. How do we hijack that? Here's a couple of thoughts. Number one, when we become more conscious of selfie than the spirit, and I'm going to use this, cult, this term because we're all about taking selfies in the 21st century with our smartphones, but we are more conscious of selfie than the Holy Spirit. Now, what, what do I mean by selfie? Okay, we are in a selfie culture, and here's what I mean by selfie culture. When we take something that is absolutely not about us and make it about us, now, here's what I mean. You're standing in front of like the Eiffel Tower or the Swiss Alps or the White House or the Grand Canyon and you take a big old blown up picture of your mug and your grape and send it to all your friends. I was here, okay? Let me tell you something. If you go to the Grand Canyon, if you go to the Swiss Alps and you look at that and what you're thinking about is you, yourself, and I, there's a problem there, Right? And so we live in a selfie culture. So if we're not careful, we walk into a church service and it's like, well, I don't know the song. I don't know why I sing. I'm self-conscious. I'm not sure about myself. And, and we forget that the whole purpose of singing is to express our emotions and our desires and our affections to God. Let me read you a quote from a, from a hymn writer and like a pastor, John Wesley. He says this, and this is crazy. He says, sing lustily. I didn't know that was a word. Now think about what he's saying. Sing lustily and with, a, and with good courage. Beware of singing as if you were half dead and half asleep. But lift up your voice with strength. Be no more afraid of your voice now or more ashamed of it being heard than when you sung the songs of Satan. So if we're louder singing at a birthday party to a friend or singing at a ball game, the fight song of our team, than we are singing in church, who are we more conscious of when we're in church? The Spirit of God who elicits praise because of Jesus or of ourselves? So we wrestle with that when he says sing lustily. Again, that's your affections, right? That's your emotions. Now listen, for those of you who are like, that's a gross word to use in church, Matt. Well, when he's a preacher and, he, and I'm gonna use it. But think about this. Our God is so massive and so awesome. He cannot be captured in mere talking about the facts. He elicits joy. 
that the only thing Wesley could think of is to compare it to lust. Your soul was made to sing. Another way we hijack the service or corporate singing is when we are driven by our preferences. So here's the weird thing about church and here's the weird thing about singing, okay? You get in your car and you can put it on your station or you can play your Spotify list and you can pick your music and your jam. You go work out, you can put on your earbuds or earbuds and your Bluetooth and you can hook it up to your playlist and play what you want to play. And so you walk into church and it's like, well, I don't like that song. You walk into church, it's like, well, I don't prefer that song. Let me tell you something. You have to realize it's not about you. And this is an opportunity for you to deny yourself. And Jesus said, you know what? If we don't deny ourselves and take up our cross, we may not be even there yet. Okay? So it's an opportunity for us to practice of putting ourselves aside and being more about Jesus than ourselves. So we lay our preferences down. I, I got to make like a confession. All right? I need worship leaders. Let me tell you why I need worship leaders. I cannot sing. I am terrible at singing, okay? My wife reminds me of it when I try, okay? I cannot sing. And so I can sit here and become very, 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 very self-conscious. And so I need to see somebody up here clapping because I can't find the beat. I don't know why I can't. God doesn't give me that. But then there's something going on in my heart where I want to sing, where I know I'm supposed to sing, where I know God commands me to sing. So I need to look at a worship leader to help me sing, okay? But I can't go to that worship leader and, and, and like say, hey, sing my songs, okay? So there have been times where I'll like tell our worship leaders, hey, I didn't like the song you sang. And what am I doing? I'm putting myself on the plate here, up, up on the pedestal here. I need to deny myself and be more conscious of the Spirit and more conscious of God's presence than my preferences. So when you come to church, there's an opportunity to do what the Bible commands in Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Listen to this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. You may not prefer that song, but someone sitting next to you might need that song. You might not prefer that song, but that song speaks truth about God, and your heart might need that truth today. So receive it in faith. Another way we can hijack our corporate singing is this, when our goal is only consumption and not contribution, okay? Our goal is consumption, meaning, and some people get so lost in singing or so lost in worship or so distracted that it's all about, you know, them and are they enjoying it? And if they're enjoying it, they forget about other people. Listen, remember what Paul said? We read it, singing or speaking to one another. There's part of singing as a group that people need that people need to receive, that you need to experience. There's a grace of God there. All right, here, here's the best analogy that, I could, actually, that I, I could actually think of. All right, when my wife had leukemia, and I was flying back and forth from New York, and I would fly in sometimes on Thursdays, preach, and then get on the, the red eye or the early morning Friday flight and go back and be with her on the weekend, and, and y'all would watch video uh, <laughs> everywhere. And it was a t- period of time she wasn't doing good. So it came, and I remember we were singing this song, Our God is Greater. Some of you may know it. And I needed that. And I needed to hear you sing that. Because I didn't have it in me at that moment. I wasn't convinced God was greater than cancer. But I needed to hear my people, my church family, sing that. Let me tell you something about our church. And I love it. 
We have African-Americans and whites and Hispanics. We have rich and poor. We have people who just got out of prison. We have people who are in debt up to their eyeballs and people who could write one single check and pay off all the debt of everybody in this church combined. That is to the glory of God. That is to the glory of God. So you might be sitting next to someone battling depression and they need to look at you and see you not half dead, but see you alive, that your Savior is alive and he brings joy to your heart. You may be sitting next to someone who the doctor has just said, hey, you now have a fight on your hands and they need to hear you sing and they need to see your joy because they're sort of running on empty. So my vision for this church is this, for you Christians, I am talking to Christians, that you walk in here and you are committed to getting on fire for Christ and letting that overflow to other people. Our community, we need that. People need it. We, we got a world longing, looking. What can I hope in? What can I anchor my soul in? Okay? What, what, do I, what do I trust in? Do I trust in riches? Do I trust in vanity? Do I trust in money? What do I trust in? We know we have a resurrected Savior. And that resurrection is greater than just a fact of history. It is a beauty and a joy for the human heart to sing of and sing about. Fourth way that we hijack corporate singing when we have a mistaken view of masculinity. So I'm going to talk to the guys for a second. Because I look around, a lot of guys never sing. All right, so we're trained to be unemotional as men. And we're trained to show, that to show emotion or show affection is wrong unless it's in anger or in some kind of fire me up, oh, go get them kind of you know, mentality. We're trained to be sort of stoics. Let me just simply say, that is a mistaken view of masculinity. That is a mistaken view of masculinity. In fact, if you go to one of the first times Adam speaks in Scripture, it's when God presents Eve to him. So God the Father walks Eve down the literal aisle and presents her to Adam as his wife. And Adam, in Genesis 2.23, sings or speaks poetry to Eve. He doesn't give her a paragraph. He gives her a song. Bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. Adam sung. Adam was romantic. That's real masculinity. Jesus sang. Jesus wept. Jesus promised his followers joy. Men, we need to lead in the affectional category, the emotional category. Our kids, our wives, people need to see men getting passionate about something more than football, money, Okay, so, so don't let a, a 20, 21st century view of masculinity, don't let that rob the body of Christ and don't let that distort your view of masculinity. All right, now, your soul needs a song. So singing is, is so powerful. And please listen, please listen. This is theology, but it's important. Singing is a channel of grace. Now, here, here's what I mean by that. When I read the Bible, I encounter God's grace. When I come to church and sit under teaching and preaching, that is a channel of grace. Like if I said, go get wet, you got to go find a channel of water, whether that's through a water hose or a shower or a river or a lake or a swimming pool, you got to go find the water. When I say you and I need grace to survive, we got to go find where grace is coming from. You get grace in prayer, you get grace in the Holy Spirit, you get grace in the Word of God, you get grace in small group, you get grace through singing. 
So I want to talk about this channel of grace that your soul needs to come alive and your soul needs to thrive, all right? So you sing to set the soundtrack of your mind. There's something going on in your head all the time. That's why the Bible talks about it. Coaches talk about a mind to set. Your mind can get stuck in distraction, in tradition, in pain, in selfishness, in anger. And that's the soundtrack. You know the, the saying, hey, I've got this song stuck in my head. Some of you, the song you have stuck in your head is the song of selfishness, the song of criticism, the song of slander, the song of anger, the song of, oh, my, wor- my worry or my fear. You have an opportunity in singing to set the soundtrack of your mind on the ultimate reality of God Almighty. That's why Paul says it, be filled with the Spirit and sing and make music to the Lord and sing to one another. So you can set the soundtrack of your mind. Because your mind, if your mind is set on the wrong thing, you will go in the wrong direction. Emotionally, volitionally, wherever. So here's a question. Why do we sing? Here's what I hear. Why do we repeat the same lyrics over and over? You ever ask that question? Go read Psalm 136. 25 times talks about the faithfulness of the Lord's love. And, and, and give thanks to the Lord. His love endures forever. Sing it 26, 25, 26 times. Why is that? Why is that? And why do, we, why do we repeat ourselves? Is it, are we forgetful? Well, first of all, we are in the information age. And so we are so used to what's new, what's hot, what's new, what's hot. What do they post on Facebook? What do they post on Twitter? That anything that is repeated, rehearsed, or rehashed feels bad to us. But your soul and your heart need to go deep. What if your dad or your mom or your spouse said, I love you one time? Hey, it's our 25th anniversary. Hey, I told you something in three words 25 years ago. I'm not going to repeat myself. See you later. We adopted our boys. And Beth and I were committed that the first thing they should say back to us in English, rather than mom and dad, is I love you. So we said it over and over and over and over and over and over and over to bore it in their soul. You need to sing over and over and over and over and over and over and over until your heart's moved, until your heart's aligned. So you sing to set the soundtrack of your mind and your soul. You also sing to bring the breakthrough. And here's what I mean. We're in a war. We're in a war. And actually, one of the greatest weapons God has given us is singing. Is singing. Now, that doesn't always make sense, does it? Let me show you this in the Old Testament. Let me show you this Old Testament. So, King Jehoshaphat, all of Israel, Jerusalem, surrounded by an opposing army. He prays. God says he's with them. And so, they're about to go out. And take up battle positions. And Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe in his prophets, and you will succeed. Then he consulted with the people and appointed some to sing for the Lord, and some to praise the splendor of his holiness. I'm like, you're about to go fight. Why don't you get your swords out? And he's like, no, we're going to sing. When they went out in front of the armed forces, the singers went in front of the armed forces. Why? They kept singing, give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love endures forever. And they sang and they won. Now, now why is that? What happens? Because we're in a war to believe. We're in a war, next slide please. We're in a war to believe. 
Will we believe God? Will we believe our enemy? Will we believe our flesh? Can we trust God? Singing by setting the soundtrack of our mind fuels us with God's goodness, God's greatness, and God's power. Let Let me read you a story. All right, this is from one of the most logically driven theologians of our time. And he's going to talk about an exorcism. It just got weird, didn't it? Four years ago, I was called late one night to come to an apartment where there was a demon-possessed woman. I called a friend of mine. We went together while our wives prayed at home. What we found was a woman held in a room by some other young Christian ladies who were intent on seeing the demon driven out of this woman. For two hours, I talked to her and read scriptures and prayed prayers of deliverance. She became increasingly violent, knocking the Bible out of my hand and grabbing the prayer sheets and shoving me. At one point, about one in the morning, when the conflict rose to a fever pitch between the Word of God and the satanic force in this woman, someone in the group began to sing. It was one of our familiar worship songs. We sang it again and again and again. The effect on her was dramatic. She began to tremble and threaten us if we didn't stop. Then she threw herself on the floor and screamed for Satan not to leave her. She went into convulsions and then went limp. When she came to, she remembered nothing of what happened and was willing to read scripture and pray. So let me say something, and I need everyone here to hear me. Singing is not some little nice sentimental trip and thing we do at a worship service. Singing is war. Your war, the war of the people sitting next to you, the war for the hearts, minds, and souls of the people in this world that need our hope, that need our joy, that need our God. There's also a war going on at the level of our desires. See, it's not enough for me to stand up here and say, don't drink, or don't cuss, or don't hang out with girls who do. See you next week. (laughs) It's not enough. And that's what a lot of you grew up with. (laughs) You got to have a new desire. You got to have a greater joy. Because we said it, alcohol has joy. The Spirit's joy is greater. We said it, sin brings momentary pleasure. Jesus' brings eternal pleasures. And at his right hand, Psalm 1611, are eternal pleasures forevermore. Singing fuels these desires. And there's a war going on for our fullness. So you're going to be full of something. Will your soul be full of cheap candy or the king's fine cuisine? Okay? And that's why Paul says, are you going to be filled with, with alcohol and under the influence of alcohol? That's an option. Are you going to be filled with the Holy Spirit? It's a battle. So we sing to fuel our faith, right? We sing to fuel our faith. Now, now here's the point. Here's the question. What if I don't feel like singing? Sing until you do. Sing until you do. Sing until you do. If you do feel like singing, sing. If you don't feel like singing, sing. Because you need to stir your affections for a holy God, for a loving God, for eternal God. So sing until you do. You need to have those moments, those experiences where like Blaise Pascal, you're like, fire! Fire. Fire. Your soul needs it because your soul was made to sing. So would you be willing, church, to make a couple of commitments today as we get ready to pray, sing, take our offering? Resolve to sing and sing habitually. It doesn't matter if you can sing based on your voice. 
It's the fact that God's put a song in your heart. So resolve. Do not let worship attendance lag. Do not do it. Do not say, well, I'll go to church when I feel like it. Just go ahead and say, I'm going to be in church unless I'm sick or out of town. Period. Resolve to attend faithfully and habitually. All right? Your soul needs it. The people sitting near you, the people who need it. It's about us. It's about God. Resolve not to critique, but to contribute. Not to critique, but to contribute. Okay? We're not coming in to be critiquers or consumers. We're to be contributors in this thing called corporate singing that the church has been doing for 2,000 plus years. Number three, resolve to fight. We're in a battle. Refight against selfie. Resolve to fight to obtain as much grace as God will give. Your soul and your life is designed to run on the grace of God. Biologically, that's grace, that breath we just took. The sun, the rain that we're getting, all that's all grace. Because guess what? Without it, we're toast. Who created it? Who gave it? God did. The blood of Jesus, who gave it? God did. We should be grace. Let's go back to Paul's analogy of alcohol in the spirit. We should be grace intoxicated. So resolve to get as much grace as God will give. And I am telling you, based on the authority of the Word of God and my personal experience as someone who can't, quote-unquote, sing, God gives grace through singing. And finally, would you resolve, make this commitment, make it all about God. Make it all, all, all about God. You'll always have a song to sing, and you'll always have a God who will meet you in your singing. We're going to take our offering now. If you're a guest, don't worry about that. Our worship leaders are going to lead us in the song, never going to stop singing. This is not the time for you to leave worship early. If you leave worship early, you've missed the point of the entire sermon. Your soul needs to sing. Let's sing. You'll stay seated while the offering's taken. Our worship leader will invite you to stand and join, but we're never going to stop singing. As we bow and sing, God, I thank you that you put a song in our hearts. I thank you, God, that your glory, your beauty, your grace is so infinite and so amazing. It cannot be captured in a paragraph, but it overflows, God, in the poetry, the beauty, the lyrics of singing. God, I know there's people here, and every single one of us is in a battle, in a war, in a fight. It's maybe a fight to believe. It's maybe a fight to overcome. It's maybe a fight, God, at the level of our desires. God, there is grace to be had if we never, ever are going to stop singing. So, God... How can we hold it inside who you are, what you've done, what you've given? God, may it come out of us in the beautiful expression of singing to you, our great and amazing and amazing, amazing King. God, we love you. We give back to you now because you have given yourself to us. God, we love you, and we're going to express that love for you in song. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you would fill your people with yourself. I pray, Holy Spirit, that we would come under your influence, even right now, even as we close our service, God, that the most intoxicating thing in our minds and in our souls is not our problems, is not our circumstances, but is you, God, our God. Fill us with yourself. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, we pray. Amen.